Um, So the Bible reading this evening is taken from Mark chapter 1, verse 40, through to chapter 2, verse 12. Jesus heals a man with leprosy. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places, Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the, mat, lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Sons, your, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of, teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Annabella. Well, it's really lovely to be with you all this evening. Uh, as a church family at Emmanuel, we are working our way through Mark's Gospel over the course of the past year in two halves. And if you know anything about Mark's Gospel, you know that Mark structures every single thing in his Gospel to make one central point, that you would know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And at this early point in Mark's gospel, Mark is structuring exactly what he is saying to build the evidence to prove to you who Jesus is. He's showing you Jesus' authority over creation, over sickness and suffering, and all of the things that are broken in this world, so that you would be sure that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the the meta story of Mark's gospel, if you like. And this evening, what I want us to see are two beautiful implications of what it means to know that Jesus is king and is breaking forth in this land with his kingdom. I want us to see from our text that Jesus heals and forgives to bring unity. Unity with each other and most wonderfully and gloriously of all, unity with our Father in heaven. That's where we're going. And we're going to begin, Zach, thank you, by seeing Jesus' grace heals us and reunites us together. Now, I don't know about you, 
but thank you, Zach. I don't know anybody who suffered personally with leprosy. I was going to give them a moment before they saw that slightly scary image. Uh, the scary thing about leprosy, of course, is just how significantly it can change people's lives. The, the word that's used in our text is quite a general word, but when we say the word leprosy today, we're describing a condition that's going to affect your skin and your eyes and your respiratory tract and cause enormous damage. If you know nothing about leprosy, what leprosy does is that it affects the way that you feel all the way through your body. So that those who suffer with it often find themselves injuring themselves. They're not sensitive to heat and can burn themselves. They don't realize that something may be trapped and can pull themselves, which is why I was going to give you a quick warning to say, if you're a bit squeamish, don't look at the picture you've just seen. <laughs> But if you want to see what leprosy does, it does this. And leaves irreparable harm on the human body. Thank you, Zach. So when we're talking about leprosy, that's the level of pain and discomfort and, and devastation that's being brought about on uh, the people that we're talking about. And according to the World Health Organization, uh, the half of all new cases of leprosy arise in India. But... Back in October 2017, which I think is the last time all the stats were gathered, there were, quote, only 216,000 cases of leprosy left in the world. And that's because through the, the God-given brilliance of scientists and doctors, especially in the 40s and 50s, they developed a treatment protocol. It's now a multi-drug treatment protocol that has enabled leprosy to be cured. So over the course of the past 20 years, 16 million people have been cured of leprosy, which is incredible, isn't it? When you see what kind of damage leprosy brings. This man had none of that. For him, leprosy wasn't just a condition, it was a sentence. His condition brought about a separation from everything else. Because if you go back to the book of Leviticus, the laws that God gave his people to govern and protect them, if somebody had leprosy, we read in Leviticus 13 and 14, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes and let their hair be unkempt. Not because they were trying to be cool, because everybody needed to know who they were so they could stay away. They should cover the lower part of their face. That's to reduce the possibility of the disease spreading. And they're to cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. Listen to this. They must live outside the camp. In the Middle Ages, they had to walk with a bell. Unclean. Unclean! Now you imagine how that man would have felt. Totally separated from everything and everyone. Unable to be a part of his family. Unable to be a part of his town. Unable to be part of the religious community that would have brought their offerings into the temple. He was separated from all of that. And because of his condition, had no hope that anything would ever change. 
because he was cast away. Little wonder then, in verse 40 of our passage, he's got no shame in the middle of a crowd of people in dropping to his knees in front of Jesus and saying, if you are willing, will you heal me? Now, you have to read this passage with the eyes and ears of a first century Jew for whom all of this is about to unfold. Because for Jews, it's really obvious what's going to happen next. Jesus is a Jew. And of the many things that Jews were concerned about, one of them was to always be ceremonially clean. They needed to be able to go into the temple to make offerings and sacrifices to God. They themselves didn't want to get contaminated with any of this stuff. So it's, it's abundantly obvious how the story is going to work. Now that this leper is in front of Jesus, who's a Jew? Jesus is going to keep his distance so he doesn't get the condition. And he's going to stay away to make sure he doesn't become ceremonially unclean. Look at verse 41. Jesus was indignant. That's a really tricky word to translate. Because in many of uh, the old accounts of Mark's gospel, the the word comes from a deep-seated compassion. And that totally makes sense of what we know about Jesus and the situation he's in looking at this leper who's on his knees in front of him. We could understand Jesus being heart-achingly compassionate towards the man that he's looking at. But older copies actually have the same word, but with a root that comes from anger. That's why our translation has the word indignant. But to whom was Jesus feeling indignant? It can't be a source of anger towards this man. We're going to see what he does to help him in just a minute. There's something else that Jesus is looking at this man and his situation, and he is angry about. He's angry about the effects of sin that have ruined this man's life. That have not only caused the physical pain that he has experienced, but have also brought about his separation from everything else. God had created the world in which we're to live for community. And this man was pulled out of all of that. And Jesus looks at him and is indignant. And that's what leads to the most shocking part of verse 41, if you've got the text in front of you. He reached out his hand and touched the man. No! You can just imagine all of Jesus' Jewish readers doing, don't do that! You're going to be contaminated. You might get leprosy, but perhaps even worse than that, you're going to be unclean. What are you doing, Jesus? What is Jesus doing? If you've read through Mark's gospel or all of the gospels, you will well know that Jesus has the power to heal anyone of anything without having to touch them. Why does the Son of God touch the untouchable? It's because this passage is here to remind us not just of Jesus' power to heal, but of the type of king he is. A king who doesn't say, Stay aloof and separate and safe and distant 
from all that is broken, but steps down into our mess and grabs hold of us in the middle of all of that to heal us and bring us back to that lovely relationship with him. One writer puts it this way, by touching him, Jesus was really saying, I am prepared to become by choice what you are by nature, a man under the judgment of the law in order to share with you what I have, freedom and life. That's what all of our ministries into our town are seeking to do, isn't it? To reach out with the same love of the Lord Jesus Christ and to show in different ways what that love that has transformed our lives can do for other people if they will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. But before we move to the next story, I want you to see that as if all of that wasn't remarkable enough, and we often miss this in the text, do you see how much it cost Jesus to do this? Jesus has to trade places with the leper. If you've got the text in front of you, you begin in verse 40, and Mark's talking about the word leper, and it instantly sets the scene for us. We, especially for the Jews in Jesus' day, they would have got what he was talking about. Here's a man who was separated from the rest of the community. He's the one, wording of Leviticus, who is outside of the camp. And then do you see what happens in, in verses 42, 43? As Jesus heals him, heals him in such a way that he himself doesn't become contaminated, but he imparts his healing and his holiness on this man. Verse 43, he tells him, don't go and tell anybody. Go and present yourselves to the officials. That might sound very bureaucratic and boring. What Jesus was doing was saying to him, go and reintegrate into your culture. Go and be with your family. Go and be free to worship in the temple. Go and be a part of everything that you've been separated from. But the guy's just too excited. And so he goes and tells every single person that he can, I'm healed, I'm healed. I used to be the leper that lived over there and, and now I'm free. And do you see what happens? Jesus, verse 45, could no longer enter a town openly but stayed outside in the lonely places. That's where the leper should have been. And Jesus has traded places with him so that he could be part of a community again. The beautiful result of Jesus' grace is not just that this man has been healed, miraculous enough as that is. It is that Jesus' grace heals and reunites us to each other. But at what cost? And is that the greatest relationship breakdown that needs to be fixed? That brings us to our second story where we see Jesus' grace forgives us and reunites us with God. You can imagine if you're living this story in real time that Jesus' reputation is going to go like, it's going to go viral. If Facebook and Twitter were a thing in Jesus' day, it would be hashtag Jesus heals all the way. And everybody would want to see what was going on. And the next town is Capernaum. And before they get there, the place is so full of people who want to hear Jesus that you can't get in. You physically can't get in the building. It's like next on Boxing Day at 6 in the morning. Were any of you there? <laughs> Hands up if you were outside next at 6 in the morning. <laughs> 
They don't come for jeans and denim. They come for healing and hope. And there, this paralyzed man is lowered through the floor of those flat Middle Eastern roofs. They, they pull open a hole and, and drop this man down. And at that point, everybody now knows what's going to happen next. Because we're starting to get into a rhythm with the Gospels. Sick person arrives, Jesus heals them, well person leaves. In, sick, out, well. That's how it works. That's the rhythm of the gospel. Everybody's getting used to that. Until you get to this man. When everything changes. Verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. At which point, I picture a total hush in the house. Kids stop playing. The teachers of the law, they might have been busy looking at their scrolls, stop with eyebrows disappearing over their heads. Because what Jesus has just done is unthinkable for a Jew. If you want to see how serious this is for the Jews, if you look in verse 7, they say, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Now, we sometimes talk about blaspheming in a fairly small way. For a Jew, blaspheming is a treasonous offense. You can be killed for blaspheming. But they go on to say, verse 7, who can forgive sins but God alone? Their problem isn't their theology. Their problem's their logic. Their theology is absolutely right. That as people who for the whole of their history have fought for centuries against the polytheism of the Babylonians and the Greeks and the Romans, they have held to the central truth of Judaism. All the way back in Deuteronomy 6. Thank you, Zach. It's called the Shema. For thousands of years, the Jews would have said, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, which means, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the central pillar on which the whole of Judaism has been founded for centuries. Thanks, Zach. And there in the heart of their monotheism, there is only one God. There was a logic that was very simple for them. There is one God. All sin is rebellion against that one God. And God is not man. Therefore, Jesus can't say what he's saying. Jesus must be blaspheming. And in verse 8, Jesus, knowing in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts, he, you can just see Mark's subtle way of reminding us, he's God. Jesus is about to show them the flaw in their logic. Because in some ways, any Tom, Dick, or Harry could run around saying, I forgive you your sins. I forgive you your sins. And it would be impossible for any of us, ultimately, in one sense, humanly speaking, to falsify what's being said. Because people don't run around with a traffic coding system on them, do they? Red, still a sinner. Green, forgiven. That's not how it works. 
And it would be very easy, humanly speaking, to say there's no possible way to disprove this apart from knowing that only God can forgive sins. So what Jesus does is he's going to prove the greater by the lesser. He's going to use their logic problem and solve another one. Verse 9. Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. Now, technically speaking, if you understand what it means to forgive sins, which is something committed against God, it is impossible for any human being to ever do that. It may be possible to heal in practical ways and bring medicinal help and support to those who are struggling. But what Jesus does is he says, you can't hug forgiveness. You can't physically be assured of what I'm saying when I tell you your sins are forgiven. So I'm going to prove my power to do the greater by doing the lesser. And he says to this paralyzed man, pick up your mat and walk. Just picture this man, paralyzed, getting up from his mat, rolling it up, and everybody's eyes following him out the door. And everybody's eyes coming back to Jesus. And saying there in verse 12, we have never seen anything like this. One of the greatest writers in the whole of English history went to university as a committed atheist. He got two first-class degrees from Oxford. And C.S. Lewis is a man who fought against religion for many, many years. He became a fellow at Magdalen College in 1925. And in the years that would follow, his friendships with other people and reading the Bible would convince him that not only is God God, but the Lord Jesus Christ is the historical Son of God. And as he worked through the Gospels, he came to see how clearly they present who Jesus is. Thank you, Zach. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Lewis goes on, either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Thank you, Zach. As we've been working our way through Mark's gospel as a church family, and you will have found this if you've read the gospel yourself, you realize there is simply no possible way that the man described in this book is a lunatic. And there's no way his life is consistent with being a compulsive liar. There's only one possible way of categorizing the Son of God. As God himself. And if he is the son of God, he has the power to not only heal and bring us back into 
fellowship with each other. He has the power to forgive our sins and bring us back into relationship with God. If you see these two stories together, they're a lovely reminder to us that Jesus loves people in their brokenness. In all of the mess and all of the brokenness that would often leave the rest of society to stand by to make sure they don't catch it themselves and don't get caught in anything they're stuck with. The Son of God shows his love and his compassion for people by stepping in and touching the untouchable. That we would know the kind of king he is and his power heals us and reunites us with each other. That is not, though, the greatest gift and power and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The great hope of the gospel is how he achieves the even greater work of reuniting us with God. And that's the great hope of the gospel that we want to tell the people of our town. We want them to see a God who loves them in all of their brokenness and need and wants to draw them back into community. But most importantly of all, as Jesus prioritizes forgiving this man's sins before he heals him physically, we want them to come and see a Savior who has traded places with them. What is the hope of the gospel? That the Son of God went outside the camp and died on a cross in all of the shame and all of the public scandal that that leper would have known and took on that cross all of the punishment for all of the sin every man, woman, boy and girl will ever commit if only they would trust in him. And now he says... Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come and I will give you rest for your souls. Because Jesus has the power to forgive and reunite us with God. That is the message we want to take to our town. There may be some of you for whom that message is not yet your story. And if that's you this, morning, this evening, can I encourage you, please, to look at the story of Jesus' life in the Gospels and think with Lewis, is this man a liar or a lunatic? Or can I trust him as my Lord? We're going to take just a moment of quiet. We want to pray for opportunities to love and serve others in the way that the Lord Jesus has that we would model and show his heart for others as we serve them. And we want to pray that in God's great grace, through the work of his Spirit, men and women would be forgiven their sin and brought back into union with God.